You're listening to the Amazing Women Podcast, where we enjoy meaningful conversations with extraordinary women. These highly successful entrepreneurs will share their stories of remarkable success and occasionally some spectacular failures. Come join your host, entrepreneur and best-selling author Rob Kopman, as he shares this hour with you and these fascinating women. Hi, Nancy. Good morning. How are you, Rob? I'm really happy that you agreed to be on my podcast. Yeah, well, thank you so much for, for asking me. And, and I think I love the whole mission of the podcast. I think it's, it's subject matter that is very timely and important to get out into the marketplace. Thank you. I'm really amazed that there are very few men trying to make a podcast that all it does is support women. It seems like everybody has either, either an ulterior motive or they have uh, other things they want to do with it. And all I want to do is just give these women like you uh, a forum to, to, to talk about what they do and to encourage other women to either go into business or take their business to the next level. So I'm very happy to be doing this. I think it's a worthwhile cause and a lot of fun. So tell me about your business. Is it, the official name is uh, Smarter Divorce Solutions. Is that correct? That's one, one of, of them. my businesses. Okay. Okay. So I, I actually, Smarter Divorce Solutions is my primary business. Um, I'm a financial advisor by trade and I'm actually have been falling under the umbrella of other registered investment advisors. And right now I'm in the process of forming my own registered investment advisory. So I will be a fully independent then financial advisor. So the business name for the, the wealth management side will be Smarter Financial Solutions. Note the co-branding. And then I also teach and train financial advisors all over the country, mostly women, on how to have similar businesses like this. And so that is the Divorce Financial Planner Training Center. I see. That, that's really interesting. Um, now, you, you act as a, also a mediator for people going through divorce. Is that right? Absolutely. Yep. We have a, a, we have a model here that we call Mediation Plus, where you have a neutral mediator and a neutral financial that work together as a team to help couples resolve their property settlement and all of their different things that need to be resolved in figuring out a divorce settlement. No lawyers, no judges, no courtrooms, truly a kinder, gentler, much more affordable way to go through the divorce process. In my experience, 90% of human beings have absolutely no need for a criminal system to deal with a family issue. I like that attitude. Now there are, yeah, there are, there are ten, those 10% that are your high conflict personalities that often have diagnosed or undiagnosed mental health issues, right? Where you don't have a choice but to lawyer up and go to court because they're not gonna allow it to be any other way. But for the vast majority of the population, I just, I felt real strongly that, that in the late 70s, early 80s, when no-fault divorce became you know, fairly ubiquitous across the United States, we, we made a critical error. We decided to deal with family issues with that same criminal system. And I have yet to meet anybody that came through that system without feeling punished, bruised, and bitter, regardless of how they go in. And so I, I went through my own divorce in 2007 and said, you know what, this is ridiculous. We have to offer people better choices. 
And so I learned about this credential that I have. I'm a certified divorce financial analyst. And that's how I kind of tiptoed into the divorce realm. But then people started showing up with no lawyers and saying, hey, help us figure this out. And so I started working with couples, you know, in cooperative kinds of environments. And I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. This is how I want to make a difference. And so I really just created my firm around that, around helping rational, reasonable people, you know, move on to the next phase of their lives in a healthy, holistic way. Well said. Do you find that many people who are getting divorced remember why they got married, they fell in love with somebody, and now they, things just have changed. They still love the person they married because the reason's the same is the person is still relatively the same. They still have feelings for them. They just don't want to be married anymore. They don't want to live with them anymore, and they don't hate them. They just want to go their own way. Do you find that to be common? Those are my clients. Um, most, most of the people we work with have been married 20 years plus and people change, you know, and, and if you don't grow together, you often grow apart. And so when kids are out of the house, when stages of life begin to change, couples often realize they're just, they're just happier, not in a marital relationship anymore. And they come, they'll come to us. And I hear spouses all the time say, listen, I still really care about that person and I want to make sure they're going to be okay. Awesome. That I know they're in the right place. Um, I've actually fired clients when it became clear to me that the motivation of one party was to punish the other party. I don't want any part of that. If you want to punish somebody, go lawyer up and go into the courthouse because that's not what we're about here. We're about preserving the respectability of the process, making sure that both of you get an opportunity to keep as much of your own money as possible by being tax efficient, by avoiding the big legal fees and really being creative with your settlement and bringing in the, the pieces of financial planning so we can actually look 20 years in the future. Is it really going to work out the way you're hoping it's going to work out? And let's make some intelligent decisions. It sounds like it'd make for a very boring movie. <laughs> right you know there's all these films yeah. about people having uh you know fights in the divorce the lawyers get all the money and there's all these side issues yeah. and it makes for an interesting conflict for a film but in real in reality in real life all it is is torture your way is so much better exactly. you know on a personal level i was married oh god this was 30 something years ago and uh i happened to be jewish and from new york city and i met this girl in college who was uh, Catholic Mexican from El Paso, Texas. Her father was a uh, colonel in the army, uh, retired, and now a high school principal. We could not have had different families. Her, Christy and I could not have been different, pe been more different people. Well, we loved each other. Our marriage didn't last very long; it was a few years, and the cultural difference it just made a lot of problems. We still loved each other, and everything between us was fine. But it just we knew it was going to be too difficult to raise a family when we were going different directions, we said, forget it. And I remember very clearly saying, okay, you know, let's do this. What do you want to do? And we sat down with a piece of paper and we wrote down all of our possessions and said, all right, you get this, you get this. I'll take, I want that. All right. Then I want this. And then I said, you go file the papers and then I'll go before the judge and say, we can't reconcile and we'll be done. And that's exactly what we did. The whole thing was completely painless to hardly any time. 
I got the Firebird, which needed a new engine, and uh, <laughs> she wanted to board that. <laughs> we, we must be about the same age because there was a Firebird involved in my yeah. force as well. <laughs> there you go, right, yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, I remember going before the judge and they asked, is there any way you can reconcile this marriage? It was like nothing to it. And I said, no, but while we were waiting for the judge to come in, there was about 15 people sitting in the courtroom. And it was really kind of tense. It was quiet. People muttering to each other a little bit. And, and I just, I couldn't help myself. I said, well, at least you know everybody walking out of here is going to be single. <laughs> You're looking for a date. <laughs> anyway, the, you know, after we got divorced, we, we, uh, we stayed friends. We you know, we hung out together and, and it, it was great. Whereas if there was a lawyer involved, that would have been the last I told her. Oh, yeah. Who knows where it would have gone, right? Now, that's one of the unique things. Actually, I don't know ex exactly how many states it is, but I know it's more states than not do not require a hearing if, if the parties are in agreement. And so this is one of those states. We do what's called a consent decree where both parties sign that we're in full agreement on all our issues, that just gets mailed into the court and you're done. And so you don't ever, yep, you never have to go to court. My understanding is there's only about seven states that require that hearing no matter what. And, and frankly, we're going to start to see that change, Rob, because the court system is too overburdened. Um, there's actually a, a, move, a motion now on the books in Minnesota to allow a 100% out of court divorce, which basically is what we are doing. The only time it becomes court involved well, is twice. You have to file the initial petition and the judge has to sign it. And we send in the final paperwork with everybody's signatures and the judge has to sign it. Well, this bill in Minnesota says, you know what? If you're gonna do that process, why do we need the judge to be involved? You don't all? like in mine. There was no reason Why? to go before the judge. I could have just as easily done on the phone. Right. So imagine how much we could unburden the court, the legal system, if we just let people create those agreements and then just file them with, like, I don't know, the county recorder. Kind of like doing a trust, right? You just yeah. document. Everybody signs it, puts the properties in there. This is what we agreed on, and we're done, right? Yep. So. Yep. Exactly. And so they're looking at those kinds of alternatives. So when do you think Amazon's going to start offering that? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, I'm going to first. So <laughs> I mean, I actually, I have this whole business model. I bet you do. You probably have several. <laughs> yeah, going to roll out as it make it kind of semi-virtual where you start the process with an online TurboTax-like questionnaire but then you're assigned to a mediator and financial person in your city who helps you negotiate all your agreements. And then we have like paralegals or document prep people all over the country. So yeah. yeah I love that idea. I'm, I'm I don't see you. any reason why you couldn't do it. Uh, but let's talk about some yeah. of the other people. I'm just curious here. You know, not everybody has a really amicable divorce. Often you have people's hurt feelings, emotions of all like, you know, one party cheats on the other one, for example, and then they, and they go, well, you, you cheated on me. You know, I want out. You know, hell with you. you were, you're, you're awful, whatever they say, you know. And, and then they're not really so amicable usually. A lot of times they want to punish the other party. How do you deal with those people? Or do those kind of people not come to you? Oh, they do. Absolutely, they do. There's always something that precipitates 
one of the parties finally drawing the line in the sand, right? So it is un, it's absolutely un, you're never, ever, ever going to have a divorce that doesn't have emotions involved, right? So very early in my business, which I launched in 2011, I, because my, my background is, is finance, mm-hmm. right? I realized fairly early on that I was not adequately prepared to deal with all of those emotions. And so I got trained as a mediator and then I got trained as a, I'm a certified divorce coach. And so I knew, okay, in order for me to really serve people and serve people well, this, what we're going to do here has to be more holistic. So on my team now, there's six of us total in my company. Three of us are mediators. Two of us are certified divorce coaches. One is a financial coach. So we can take that, that 30 year marriage, whoever was the non CFO spouse, who's going to all of a sudden have to start handling their day-to-day finances. And is like, ah, we can help that person Two financial advisors. Um, and then I even have a therapist that offices. Oh, nice. So you have a one-stop shop here. You got everything. That's the idea. That's the idea. And, and so, yeah. So if anybody's listening, I need a CPA. I really would like a CPA. In your office? That would be in my office. I have five open offices. And my vision, yeah, my vision has always been to have this be the smarter divorce center where all you need is under one roof and, you know, each professional has their own thing going. Well, that's really sounds like a very um, a unique business model. And I have to say it's brilliant because I, I know the financial world. I'm a financial advisor myself. And uh, finding new clients can be challenging. And you have people coming in and they're, not only do they really need some f- objective financial advice, but then they're in your office and there's a perfect prospect for you. So being that this is really a, a, a business podcast. Let's talk a little bit about the business side of your business and how well you have done providing people with financial advice and how do you stay objective? Because I could see there's two people involved, there's money to be split. Sometimes you could go one way or the other a little bit. Uh, how, you know, how do you maintain that objectivity and what percentage of people that come through your office wind up using you for financial advice. Right. Well, and that's the key, right? That's the key to this whole business model. The amazing thing is I've been a financial advisor 22 years and I have two business cards. I have a smart divorce solutions business card. And then I've got a business card for my wealth management practice. Rob, I've given out two of those in the last (laughs) five years. I don't market myself as a financial advisor anymore because this business model is so effective. I'm working with people in one of the hardest times in their life. And through those two to four months that we might be working together, I'm learning everything there is to know about their finances. We're building trust. We're building a relationship. I'm supporting them emotionally and at a human level. So if they need a financial advisor, why in the world would they go anywhere else? It would, because it's all about trust and they trust you. Exactly. So there's a couple of different things. So as a certified divorce financial analyst, the code of ethics as a divorce financial planner says, I cannot be someone's divorce planner and their financial advisor at the same time. 
it's, it's against the code of ethics. So the very beginning of any divorce engagement, they're provided with a conflict of interest disclosure that says, hey, at some point in this engagement, I may recommend to you that you are going to need a financial advisor afterwards. I am a financial advisor. And of course, you're under absolutely no obligation to use me, right? Um, ironically, though, what that does is it establishes in that very first meeting, hey, by the way, I'm a financial advisor. So I planted the seed, right? Here's the great thing. The conflict of interest rules do not prevent both of them from staying with me as their financial <laughs> advisor. Wow. So it's it keeps getting better here. And I know, right? So I have rules about that, though. They have to both agree that they're fine with it. We have to all agree that there's a Chinese wall. We don't discuss the other party mm -hmm. at all, you know. And if at any point in the future, any of the three of us becomes uncomfortable, we all part ways and go, go to nice. the others. And you know what? I've done it like four or five times and it's never uh, been a well, problem. I can see why. Because of the way we go through the engagement. We facilitate this cooperative environment. It's kind of cool. I actually feel like I teach people how to have, how to talk with each other in a new way. One of my happiest things ever is when I'll hear from these people six months down the road and they'll say, oh my God, we've been able to stay friends. And I never thought that would wow, be Wow, that's wonderful. Like, yes. Yeah, you really provide a, on a whole nother level of great service. If you can do that for people, yeah. that's oh. very, really valuable. Um, yeah. So on the business side of it, it's like, oh my gosh, what have I stumbled on? Which is why four years in, I'm like, I got to teach people how to do Take a franchise, but then you lose control. So what do you do to, how do you, how do you franchise it? Or how do you, how do you train other people to do it and not lose your intent? Why don't you mention that? We're working on that right now, actually. And it won't be a franchise. It may end up being some kind of a joint venture. So I'm, I'm meeting with a, uh, one of my clients in Indianapolis wants to be the first satellite location for smart door solutions. So we're going to put our heads together and say, okay, this is what we want. And then we're going to sit with the lawyer and say, how do we do it? <laughs> so the lawyer, the lawyer is assuring me that it's not a franchise. It's something else, but it's not a licensing agreement either, but there's other stuff. So we'll I guess you can out. make it, you know, however you want it. If you, if you're putting your name on, on it in their office, then it's one thing. Whereas if you just train them and they're their own entity with their name, that's something else, right? And whether or not you have any control over how they perform their daily business is also a part of the equation. And you've got to decide, well, how important is it for me to make sure they do this correctly and to do it the way I set it up versus just showing them how to do it and then cutting them loose, letting them do what they want, and then it has nothing to do with you. So that's a big decision. Yeah, and that's most of my training department right now. They go off and start their own businesses and they can do what they want. But to your point, if my name's on the door, that changes everything. Yeah, McDonald's doesn't let you use straws with other people's names on it, right? Exactly, exactly. And so as a business owner, and I think this is something that especially women, female business owners, don't adequately protect their own intellectual property. Say that again. We, female business owners don't adequately protect their own intellectual property which means as we're building businesses, we have to be careful not to be so generous that we're giving away the farm. You know what? Can you repeat that one more time, please? Yep. We have to make sure 
we're not so generous with what we provide to our clients and the, and the community that we're giving away everything of value that we create. I hear that a lot from women entrepreneurs, more so than men. That's one of the differences. Women tend to be much more nurturing. And one of the biggest complaints is I don't seem to get paid what I'm worth. And I wind up giving away a lot of, a lot of stuff that my male counterparts charge for every little thing. And I don't know how to change that behavior. How do you, how, how did you figure out how to, how to abide by that? I mean, you, you're saying to people, don't give away your intellectual property. Don't give away your services. There must have been a point where you were doing that and realized this isn't really what I should be doing. How did you get past that? Well, you know, Rob, it's interesting because having come up in the financial services world beginning in the, in the 90s, and being a woman in a very male-dominated environment. I think I picked up some business skills from the men that I was surrounded by, number one, enough that when I left corporate and I went independent, one of the very first things I did was get a business coach. Hmm. And so another thing that women don't do, in that the, these two are, are embedded together, right don't charge what they're worth. And because they don't charge what they're worth, they're not willing to invest in themselves because they're not making enough money to invest in themselves. Right. You need money. So it's a vicious, it's a vicious cycle, right? So the sooner you can get out of your own way, these are what we call self-sabotaging behaviors. Um, and I hear from women all the time, Oh, you know, I'm doing, I'm working so hard. I'm not making any money. But then when I ask them how they set their fees, there's this random throw it on the wall and see what sticks. And I didn't want to charge too much because then I won't get business. And unfortunately it's just the opposite is true because we all, it's been embedded in us very, very, very deeply that you get what you pay for. So if you price yourself at the bottom of the market, people are going to assume you're not worth anything. And so there's an education piece. In fact, it's interesting because my, my training um, program, we do our trainings on Wednesdays and the training for tomorrow is millionaire mindset. Okay. And we're going to talk to everybody about, you know, how do you have a, a mindset of abundance? So you're not making business decisions from a place of fear and a place of lack. Now, is, is this what you're talking about tomorrow? Is that the uh, National Association for Women Business Owners Millionaire conference or something different? No, 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 completely different. different. So these are my, my financial advisor clients that I train on how to be successful divorce. Oh, I see. Okay. So they work with me for a full year. And so every Wednesday we have a 90 minute training session. Um, And in fact, they're all flying into Phoenix this weekend for a two day intensive. And tomorrow's is on money mindset. And this is something that, you know, we're in a country, you know, as a financial advisor, we don't teach our kids. No, but people don't even know how to balance their checkbooks. No. I mean, I work with uber high net worth people who are financially completely and utterly ignorant. And so there's a lot of money messages that we got as kids that need to be reversed. And, and that's one of the things I work really strongly with, with my business clients. So for women business owners. Be conscious of where you are with your own money mindset. 
if you think that if you're afraid of overcharging and you're giving away a lot of free services, you need to do some work on your money mindset. And if that's the case, you need to be willing to invest in a coach. Um, perfect example, when I finally got out of my own way and four years into my business, I was willing to put up $30,000 to work with my coach for one year. That's commitment. I almost threw up when I, when I filled out the form. I had to give them two different credit card numbers because I didn't have a limit high enough. And I almost threw up. That was the first time in my business I'd ever gone, I'd ever used debt up to that. And point. let me guess the next day or maybe the next week, suddenly it was like, all right, I'm, this is a, this is a great idea. Let's do this. As opposed to having that pit, you know, in your stomach that you, well, how am I going to pay for this? And this is a lot of money. Did you, how long did it take you to feel like, wow, that was a great investment. I'm really glad I did it. Why was I so worried about doing that? I didn't really, I knew when I paid you it right away. that I would do it. I knew I would do the work. Hmm. And so I actually went into an energy of proving was all right. Now I got work to do because this investment has to pay off. I, this cannot be money that I, that I frittered away. So get out of my way. Cause I want to hear I want you tell me what to do and I will. Execute. No plan B. That, Yep. That year, my revenue jumped by $175,000. Wow. So yeah. Paid off. Yeah, I would say your ROI was excellent. And I signed on for year two. I'm sure you would. Why wouldn't you? (laughs) And and year two, my revenue went up by another $250,000. So this is what, as women especially, we have to invest in ourselves. Anyone who's going to be an entrepreneur, in order to be successful, you must be a lifetime learner. You must be. Things in this world are changing too quickly. You have to keep up with technology. You have to be able to have you know, state-of-the-art leadership skills. You have to know what's happening in the industry that you're in. So you have to be just hungry for knowledge. And the only way you're going to do that is by surrounding yourself by people who have gone there before you. And the reality is for women, this is more challenging than for men. Why is it more challenging for women? In my experience, the women business owners in general are not thinking big enough. Think bigger. It's less than, I think it's only 10% of women business owners have revenues over a hundred thousand a year. Yeah, I've read so much. Something like that. About half, almost half the businesses in America are owned by women, but very little of the actual money is controlled by those businesses. They're all very exactly. small businesses. All, one person, two percent. Yeah, okay. Two percent make a million in revenue, and so this is a problem. And so what happened for me is, as I started building my business and I started getting beyond those, you know, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand in revenue, I couldn't find any women mentors to surround myself with. I see. That's a problem. Yeah. And so that's when I found my coach who works with women, not just in Arizona, but all over that have a minimum of 300,000 a year in revenue. So I had to up my, my circle. Um, Jim Rohn is the one who first said, you know, we are the sum of the five people that you surround yourself with. 
And what I realized is the five people I spent the most time with, I was mentoring. Them. <laughs> yeah. And the time had come for me to surround myself with the next level. So many people who are listening to this, most of them are women, um, they're thinking, well, that's all well and good. She's amazing. Perfect person to be on this podcast. She is an amazing woman. But I don't have those resources. I'm not making $300,000 a year. I'm just starting out. I don't even have $30,000 to pay a coach. What would you tell them? Eventually, they can get there. But at the beginning, I'm sure it feels extremely daunting. Oh, it's frightening as hell. I spent the first 18 months in business with a mantra that I held near and dear. And I must have repeated it over in my head a hundred times a day. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Feel the fear and do it anyway. And that was the way I got through the first two years. I didn't have the money either. I did not have the money. I had the faith in myself that I would execute. Hmm. So I knew it, I could make the investment. So I had... I, ha I, didn't, I had the credit available on credit cards. Not everybody has 30,000 in credit lines. You know what? At that same time, I'd have borrowed from my 401k to do it because I was that committed to myself. Yeah. One of the things that my coach says is money is never the real reason. It's never the real reason. People can always come up with the money. Uh, you know, I found that to They're be true. Often, and I've always heard things like uh, money is only an issue in the absence of value. That's like a salesperson's mantra, you know. And, and I know I've talked to people and I said, well, this is going to cost you $500. And they say, I don't have that kind of money. I, I'll think about it, but I, I can't afford that. And then I see them two days later and they got a brand new iPhone. It cost $1,100. Yeah, exactly. Well, how did you get $1,100 if you didn't have the five last week to do this other thing that was a lot more important? Uh, they don't, of course, have an answer because people buy what they want, not necessarily what they need. They find the money for things they want, right? Well, and that's the money mindset. Millionaires don't do that. A millionaire, most millionaires would never buy a coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> Why in the world would I spend five bucks on a coffee at Starbucks when I can get 79 cents Circle K tastes just as good? Because millionaires are, we are always conscious of the power of a dollar and the power of compounding and that money is choice. Money is freedom. And every penny that you spend on something frivolous takes away your freedom. And so these are the money skills that entrepreneurs have to learn or you'll blow yourself up. A lot of entrepreneurs blow themselves Most. up and for, it's for a lot of those reasons. And so my training programs are very holistic in entrepreneur skills, as well as the actual technical skills that people have to know to do the job that I do. Um, so, but it's, you know, leadership sure. and how to hire, when to hire, money skills and, you know, all so, that stuff. Uh, so, but yeah, women especially need to get, get brought let's up. Let's talk a little bit about a different aspect of what you're just saying, because I, I have an idea that might be beneficial to people. Um, very often people reward themselves with stuff, right? especially food. And, and so maybe they're being stressed or they want to celebrate or whatever. It doesn't matter. Food seems to be the vehicle to reward themselves. Now I could see an entrepreneur thinking, Oh man, I got, this is a tough day. I really need a, co a coffee. I want to go to Starbucks and buy, get a coffee. It'll make me feel better and I'll get busy. 
wouldn't it be better off if they took the $5 out of their pocket and stuck it in a cup and said, okay, I'm not going to get the coffee. I'm going to put this towards my business. And that money will grow every day. They put $5 and by the end of the week, you have $35. Now they could do something with that. They could buy an ad somewhere probably. And they'll be a lot better yeah. off, right? Than the drinking that coffee that's down the toilet an hour later. Yeah. And these are, this is what you're talking about, Rob, is a process that a business coach would take you through. A business coach would help you set those goals and create the plan. Okay. Because I know one of the things I really struggled with, and I think this, I hear this a lot from a lot of business owners, is I'm not exactly sure what I want to create, but this is what I'm going to do next. This is what I'm going to do next. But they have no idea if they're going in the right direction or not. So one of the exercises I love to do with, with women business owners is, okay, I want you to visualize one year from now, what does it look like? And I get them to be really, really clear about where is it that you want to go. Now, let's back into that. Let's back into that. Okay, if that's where you are a year from now, then where would you have to be in month 11? Where would you have to be in month nine? And so now we create this, this quarterly strategy plan. And now you have a list of what to do next. Too many women are focused on a year from now and they're not, they're not executing on exactly what has to happen to get them where they want to go. They lo they're losing track of the roadmap and getting, getting distracted by things that just- Yeah, if you don't know where you're going, you'll never get there, right? I know when I set out to do this podcast, I did exactly that. I thought, where do I want to end up with this? I wasn't sure about my audience necessarily, but I knew a year from now where I wanted to be and went backwards and figured out how to get there, which gives you patience too, because otherwise you want to, well, when am I going to get better? When am I going to make some money? When am I going to get more, bigger audience, whatever? But if you know, well, at 30 days, this is where I'm, I should be. And then in 30 days, you look and you go, am I there or not? And if you're there, well, then, you, oh, great. I met my goal. I'm on the right track. Let's keep going. If you're not, then you may have to up your game a little bit. But if you don't have those yeah. milestones to check yourself, you're out there. And, and there's no way to know if you're on the right track. And that gets, it gets frustrating and it, it helps you lose your, your way. So I, I agree with you completely. Absolutely. And then you look up a year from a year later and you feel like you haven't accomplished anything. And that can be incredibly horrible for you. Yeah. Spirit. And a lot of times you That's haven't in, because you didn't want to work out. Right. And, and you haven't because you didn't have those yeah. steps to execute against. So yeah, if, if it's a for first time business owners, good Lord, get a coach, you know, no matter what you have to do, invest in and you don't have to invest 30 grand. There are business coaches out there. I mean, frankly, I'm a big fan of Darren Hardy and some of the material that he puts out. Um, he used to be the editor of Success Magazine. He has a 12-week program that's more like 750 bucks. Okay, anybody, that was my kind of entry, was little programs like that. And so, yeah, anybody can afford that. So find the resources, read the books. I have a question, a curiosity question about life insurance. Since you're a financial planner, as am I. What happens in most divorces do, when the parties split, do they tend to change the beneficiaries on their life insurance or not? Do they tend to keep their life insurance or not? What happens with that? So it, as it, with 
most divorces, the answer is almost always, it depends. <laughs> yeah, that's my answer all the time, too. I was hoping you wouldn't say that. <laughs> right? I know. I know. So here's what's really interesting is if there's alimony, spousal maintenance to be paid, um, you know, pretty much everyone is going to insist that there be some kind of security on that stream of income because ubiquitous in all 50 states. If the payer of spousal maintenance dies, it ends, right? So interestingly, and this is, it's, it's funny you bring this up because it kind of shines a light on how we're so different than everybody else. If you were getting a divorce with lawyers, they would just insist that you had a life insurance policy that listed that spouse as whatever percentage beneficiary was necessary to cover that stream of income. Well, in my world, we can say, well, hang on a second. Let's look at what the two of you have. Oh, look, Ben has high blood pressure and is diabetic. And if he has to go get a new life insurance policy, first of all, he's probably not even going to be able to get one. The expensive anyway. The lawyers don't. Yeah, if, if he could, it'd be really expensive. The lawyers aren't even going to ask those questions. They put into the decree, you have to go get life insurance. And you don't find out till after the fact that, oh, yeah, I guess that's that sounds like government. So, <laughs> they make laws yeah, and decrees exactly, all the time, right? and then you figure out how to make it work, and then it's impossible sometimes. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. So, so I'll look at it and say, well, guess what, though? Husband still has a retirement plan with X number of dollars in it. How about if we agree to leave the wife as a percentage beneficiary until the spousal maintenance stream is satisfied and you can decrease it every year? What an awesome idea, yeah. right? So that's so you can do that. You can call to your employer other- and say, or, or the, the administrator and say, could you give a certain percentage? We're going to make, the, make my uh, ex, soon-to-be ex-spouse the beneficiary for X amount of time and they'll do that for you. Oh, absolutely. Now the employee has yeah, to sure. do it voluntarily, right. of course. And so, but absolutely, that's no, no issue at all. Um, the other, other things we've done, which I think is really creative, is we've put a clause into the property settlement that says in the event the payer of support dies before the stream is satisfied, it becomes an obligation of the estate, which means the estate just has to mm. keep paying it. Now, there's an issue with that, potentially. That is something you have to be careful of because it, you have to make sure this couple is very, very cooperative and that they're, the beneficiaries of that estate would usually only be their children that would be motivated to keep paying mom. I see, yeah, right? sure. Because technically, if you had to go into a family court and enforce that, it would not be enforceable okay. because it, viol- it violates the law that says spousal support ends upon that person. Got it. Death. So they have to want it that way. So which brings me to another question. What if you make somebody a beneficiary or even you take out a new policy, make your, your soon-to-be ex-spouse the beneficiary, and five years later you change your mind and you go, I'm taking them off. I'm, I'm going to leave the money to, to my new wife or to my dog or whatever they want to do. Uh, is it written in your agreements that they can't do that? Is that enforceable? It, it is. And it's also written that they must give online access to that ex-spouse so that they can go log in and verify it anytime. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they'll know right away and they'll say something and do something. 
Yep. And then they can even set up alerts, you yeah. know, to get notified of things. And things so, like that. so that's yeah. a really good point to bring home for people. And that is, you know, trust, but verify, right? So, <laughs> you know, make sure you have access and make sure you check every once in a while. Don't let two years go by before you look because you might be sadly surprised. Don't feel like the other person is going to be insulted. They shouldn't. Just go in and check and just make it a habit to check to make sure that everything is still the way it's supposed to be, right? Well, and Rob, that's a really good point because in most litigated divorces, those kinds of things never even thought about. Mm. And people learn after the fact when it's too late. So now not all of my work is mediation. I do work with people that are working with lawyers. And so I go in as someone's financial advocate. And especially in those roles, my job is to be the agent of what if. Okay, so that we can build languaging into that decree that covers every possible scenario so the couple doesn't find themselves in a situation where they have to go back to court later because something wasn't clear. So you really do give a comprehensive plan here. You have a comprehensive plan on, on the divorce itself and on the settlement and then on what to do with each person, what to do with their money afterwards, because you can be their financial advisor as well, right? Do you also get involved with uh, estate planning? You probably don't do it, but do you work with an estate planner to come in and do a will and a trust for each party? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, it's interesting because my estate plan called me last week. They're hiring me as a financial expert in a probate case. Ah. And so that's like a whole new area where uh, it's a long story, but yes. So I have a team of estate planners that we work with. I actually have several estate planners at kind of different specialty levels. Um, and I'm actually in talks right now with a paralegal who might be able to just do some, you know, real basic level documents for my clients. What do they call cost. those people? So, document uh, preparers, I think, right? Yeah, document preparers. Yeah, in Arizona, which, Arizona they're certified legal document Yeah, I know preparers. one. Yeah. And so they can do that. They're not lawyers. They can do it. If it's simple, they do a really good job. If it's complicated, the difference between hiring a document preparer and a good estate planning attorney is the attorney knows what questions to ask that nobody else thought of about what could happen down the road, right? right. And that's what you're paying for. And that could be worth, yeah. could be worth millions depending on your estate. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And if it's a, you know, 65 year old couple that has a house, some retirement assets, and they're getting a divorce and they just need new wills, then you don't need no, to that's simple. all that. Yeah, you can write right. it on a napkin and have somebody check it out and make sure it's spelled right. <laughs> So do you have any Exactly. There's Do you have any general philosophies in your financial planning business? And let me explain that just a little bit. I've worked in various places over my lifetime. I've been on, on my own for 20 something years, but I started out at Mass Mutual in the life insurance industry and moved around and now I send my business through CalChoice, which is an agency that I, I don't work for but I work with. Um, and I've run into many many financial planners over the years. Most of them they don't know how to do it and they don't last long few months and they're gone. You know, it's a revolving door. Yeah. Um, but every entity seems to have a mindset. In other words, if you go to a Merrill Lynch person, they want to sell you stocks. And they usually want to sell you the stock, the hot stock of the day that the Merrill Lynch people say, push this one today, right? And then if you go to uh, an insurance agent, they all want to sell you some kind of life insurance. 
and they don't want to sell you stocks necessarily. And then if you go to people who do money under management, they want you to let them decide what to do and you pay them one, 2% a year of your assets and they'll put you in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, whatever. And then if you go to a financial advisor in quotes, who's maybe in a networking group like BNI and they're the financial advisor of the group and you go to their office, you meet them and it turns out all they really do is put you in six or seven different mutual funds and call you diversified, which you're not, right? So everybody has their own little philosophy or, or, or their predisposition to where they gravitate to. Um, do you have any kind of philosophy or do you have a preference to what type of products or um, strategies that you use for people? Absolutely. I do. I do. And, and, and they're biases that have come over a 22 year career, right? Because I grew up in the broker dealer world, um, you know, at, at Charles Schwab in their private client division. And my job was the, I was the portfolio consultant. So I was the one actually making security recommendations to all my clients. That's kind of unusual. Most financial advisors grow up as salespeople. And so when I went independent, one of the things that's a little, I think is different about my firm is I actually manage the money. I don't outsource it to other people. Um, and because we are fee only advisors, you know, we're governed by the fiduciary duty of a registered investment advisory, which means then the only way I make more money is if my clients make more money which means I'm always guided by how can I keep expenses minimal? <laughs> sure. so, so I build um, ATF model portfolios that uh, keep expenses really, really low. That's exchange traded yeah. funds, right? And yep, exchange traded funds, primarily couple stocks, mutual funds when they make sense, but we're a little more tactical than your average and your average um, advisor. I, I, Take look at the opportunity to tweak and rebalance our portfolios every month. Wow. And that's yeah, unusual. that is very that's, that's very unusual. Diligent. And we're more tactical because if February twenty eighth, and if y'all remember, lockdown hit on March seventeenth. On February twenty eighth, I took my moderate investors that were about sixty two percent in the stock market down to forty two percent. Most advisors won't do that. No, they say um, stay the course, just hold on, the money will come back. You know, they don't care. Yep, buy and hold, buy and hold, buy and hold. I'm sorry, as an advisor, having lived through 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, I will never again stand by and watch a client who's five years from retirement watch 40% of their assets Good disappear. For you. I won't do it. I just won't do it. So I'm more tactical. Um, I use some really creative investments that give downside protection mm -hmm. without having to be insurance and, you know, be a little bit more thoughtful about it. Now, because we are more tactical like that, it does limit. It limits the number of clients that I can serve independently, uh, which is why, frankly, I'm, I'm recruiting advisors all the time. The, the divorce business has become... Something really cool has happened with my business where the reputation that we've built over the last seven years has kind of hit maximum spread. And we have so much business coming from referrals only that I, my biggest challenge right now is, is 
coping with the <laughs> growth up. And, building, and keeping up and building a team fast enough to keep up with the demand. That's a great problem so, to have. And if you, it's a great problem to have, and I will not jeopardize my culture by bringing in the wrong people. So you're looking so, to bring in people to work in your office, or you're looking for people that will set, you'll set up and they'll work in their own business? Nope. The, for the wealth side, I want advisors that want to join my firm. Okay. You know, you're sick and tired of that Ed Jones model yeah. where they want you to pump out a bunch of mutual funds. You're sick and tired of the Merrill Lynch model of somebody telling you to pitch a hot stock. I, it's an opportunity, frankly, for financial advisors that is like, holy cow, you mean I could just sit and actually take care of people while you hand me clients? Oh, yeah, a guy hi. like me could do it. <laughs> sure. Exciting. Yeah. Maybe I should sign up. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I guess I should think about it because uh, the truth is I get tired of the rat race in the game as well. And I want to do the right thing. And there's always people pressuring me to do one thing or the other. And uh, it gets tiring. And uh, it would yeah. really would be nice to have clients handed to me that I can think about nothing but doing right by them. Helping. You know? Yeah. It's really, it, our world is, we, me and my employees, we, we joke because we have something really, really special going on here. There's no politics. There's no, there's none of the office, you know, drama that you get in a normal work environment. We're one big family. And, and we, would, we would jump in front of a truck for any one of us. And our clients feel it. The employees feel it. And it's one of the things I swore when I started my own company is that I was going to create a place that people felt so lucky to be part of. And so I do everything I can every day to make sure that my employees are rewarded in a way that's meaningful to them which is not almost never going to be money. It's things like, oh, your child is, you need to homeschool right now? No problem. We're going to totally set you up to work remote. You know, you need to take a couple days off to bring home a new pep, new puppy? Awesome. No problem. In fact, my, my main mediator just got back from working remotely in Park City, Utah for a month. Those are the things I can give to people that they're not going to get from a standard. Absolutely. And, and I'd like to add that I don't, I don't want to sound like a, you know, sexist bigot or anything, but that is uh, a more female attitude. You don't see too many guys saying things like that. And, and with that's which is one of the reasons I like to talk to women business owners, because you, you're much more humane, you know, more of the European model. Just you do things like that. You think of things like that and you do it with a full heart, not, with an ulterior motive that, well, that's going to make me more money if I do it that way. You think, no, that's the right thing to do, but it comes back to you. Um, so in closing, I'd like to ask you one last thing about you personally. Uh, what's your, you know, what do you do for work-life balance? And uh, what's your family life? Like, do you have kids? Are you married? You know, what do you want, what would you, what do you want to share with the audience as far as who you are and how you maintain uh, your general wonderful demeanor? Yeah, thank you. I, you know, one of my primary life values is balance. I do not work weekends unless I'm just bored and don't have anything better to do. Um, I, I am typically in the office about 630 in the morning, but I also leave by three. Okay. So 
I enforce that because one of my guiding principles for me and everyone that works with me is we work to live. We do not live to work. And let's keep that clear. So I'm delightfully remarrying to the man of my dreams. I had no idea that an intimate relationship could be effortless, absolutely effortless. And I'm 11 years in and we're still on our honeymoon. It's crazy. So delightfully remarried. He and I actually did the Brady Bunch thing when we first got together. I have, I have three children, had two at home at the time. He has a daughter. And so his daughter and my son and daughter, we all moved in together and did the Brady Bunch thing for a few years, which was not without its challenges. So now between the two of us, we've got my oldest daughter is 33 has my two amazing granddaughters that are nine and three. My middle daughter, Grace, is an officer in the Navy and, and is married and has my wonderful grandson, Dante, who is 18 months and just full of love and light. My son, Connor, is graduating from college uh, in December, and he is applying to become an officer in the Air Force. And then... Yeah, and then my my husband's daughter graduated from college last year with an engineering degree, got a crazy awesome job right out of college, and is just kicking butt and taking names. So it, it's been really nice to watch the kids grow into these amazing human beings. And you know what else can? Yeah, sounds like a very successful family on many levels. Okay. Oh, and the last thing on the balance piece, we're motorcycle motorcycle people. Yeah. So my husband and I are, we're, we're bikers. My husband has his own business on the side. He's an engineer three days a week. And then he restores antique motorcycles. Mm. The rest Must of the time specializes in Moto Guzzi's Italian 1969, 70, 71 motorcycles. And, uh, it, it having a ball loving, loving life. Wow. Well, be careful. You know, the biggest problem with motorcycles is that it's almost never the motorcyclist's fault, but nevertheless, they're on the ground and they, and they get hurt. They often get yeah. seriously hurt. So that worries me a little bit, yeah. but that's your business. Just be careful. You know? yeah. And that's why, I mean, people, people give him a hard time because he, he, they tell him he rides like an old man. <laughs> well, yeah. That's because well, he wants to be an old to be man, good. right? That's right. Yeah. Exactly. He'd like to live to talk that's about great. it. So, you know, he's, He's what he is. So he's been riding forty years, mm. and he's never, never had a. Series. So he must be an excellent defensive rider, if nothing else. Exactly. So, in closing, yep. tell people how uh, they can get a hold of you, your business, whatever you want to share, your email address, your phone number, your name, of your business, anything you want to share. Uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? And just really briefly, what kind of person should get a hold of you? Are you only looking for people going through divorce? Are you looking for just financial planning clients as well? Or, you know, just give me a quick little pitch. Yep. Well, um, first of all, so if you're curious about this model of what we're doing, check out the website, smarterdivorcesolutions.com. And you can see a little bit of what we're up to. Um, and certainly you're welcome to email me, nancy at smarterdivorcesolutions.com. Um, our phone number's on the website, all of that good stuff. Our financial services website will be going up soon. And I would say, think about me for two reasons. Number one, anyone you know or love, including yourself, that is considering divorce, deserves to know that there are other options than lawyering up. Have them give us a call. And by the way, we do online 
mediations throughout the country. So it doesn't even matter where they are. The second thing is, is I'm very, very passionate about women in transition looking for financial advisors. I think the vast majority of women have had experiences, no offense to you, Rob, because I'm sure you're not one of them, but there is a whole school of male financial advisors out there that will patronize you, that will call you sweetie, <laughs> that will throw a whole bunch of charts, they'll throw a whole bunch of charts and graphs in front of your face, and they'll never once ask you what you actually want oh, from awful. your life. And so it, it's awful. I, I, the stories I've heard are sh absolutely shameful. So for women that are looking for a place where they can feel like they belong and they can get the financial guidance that they need, definitely have them give us a call. Okay. That, sound, that sounds great. And as usual, the people who don't really need more business are the ones who keep getting it because they do the right thing. And that's you. Right? You get your business mostly from referral. You've got more business you can handle some days. So you deserve that. And I got to tell my, my listeners here, I've been talking to Nancy here now for about an hour and I've been watching her body language as she's speaking because we're on Zoom. Even though this is an audio podcast, you don't get to see her. I do. And I could see in her body language, her level of commitment and passion and how she leans forward when she says certain things. She really walks the walk. She really means it. And I would put my trust in her without even thinking about it. She deserves every bit of success that she's earned. And so uh, thank you so much, Nancy, for being a part of my little show here. I think people will really uh, get something out of, out of listening to what you had to say. And um, have a wonderful afternoon. Yeah, and I just want to say, I want to thank you for bringing me on. But more importantly, thank you for opening up the conversation for women. We need more and more opportunities like this. So thank you. So thank you as well. Thanks for joining us today on the Amazing Women podcast. Subscribe now and get the latest episodes sent to your device every week. Go to our website, theamazingwomenpodcast.com to hear bonus episodes, download free business tools, and join our family of amazing women. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.